Take your Bibles, if you've got them, hopefully you do. Um, if not, there should be a, a one for you right in front of you, be from the same version that I am using, or you can take out, most of you have devices that have it on there. I want you to find the book of Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I, Haggai, all right? We're going to be in the midst of uh, the series of messages. We are making a transition today um, that I want you to know about. I'm going to talk to you about it in just a moment. But we are in the process of finishing up this series of messages on the Minor Prophets. We have three more to go, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Um, and all three of them are in the similar kind of area. They are called post-exilic prophets. Now, I know that all of you are really up on your post-exilic prophets, but just kind of tell you what that means, all right? And so we've been talking basically through this whole series. If you've been around for the series, you know this. If not, you can go catch up, go back and listen to the podcast or check us out online. But um, we have been talking basically through a time period when there were two different kingdoms of Israel. There was a northern kingdom of Israel called Israel and a southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And there were prophets that would prophesy to different portions of that. Well, in the year 722, the northern kingdom was wiped off the map. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about those that are preaching to the southern kingdom that had some good kings that had the line of David and that seemed to be doing okay for a while, but gradually began to get worse and worse and worse. Until eventually, they too had enough terrible kings and had walked away from the Lord enough that God said that he was going to send a people, Babylon, to destroy them. And so I know that these are all kind of names from the past and different, but just understand this. The the nation of Israel, the complete nation of Israel, are divided into two. And by the year 586 B.C., so 586 years, almost 600 years before Jesus, they had both been destroyed. In 586, a group from Babylon came into the southern kingdom of Judah and absolutely wiped it out. Destroyed the walls around the city of Jerusalem, went in and destroyed the businesses, the homes, the places people had lived. They took all of the people, or most of the people, with them to Babylon. They had been, over the last 15 years before that, taking the youngest, the best, and the brightest to Babylon to try to get them to become Babylonian and to leave their religion behind. Um, We have the story of Daniel in the Bible that tells us those stories that are going on. And so they go in, they take the temple of God, they take everything out of the temple of God, they use it for their own pleasure, they destroy the temple all the way down to the ground. And then they leave. God had promised the people of Israel that if you walk away from me, if you don't do what I've asked you to do, if you don't follow the law, that's what's going to happen. And so it did. It was a very low period in the life of the Judah, of the Judites, of the Israelites. While they were in Babylon, the Lord said, but you won't be there long. He had prophesied actually through Jeremiah that they would come back soon. And so actually, just about 50 years later, in 539, a new guy comes to power in a place called Persia, and they destroy the Babylonians. And he gets there, and he looks at all of these Jewish people, these Hebrews, and he says, what are they doing here? Send them home. So they all go back home, and they get home, and they get home to Jerusalem that has been destroyed, and they're like, we don't even know what to do. And so these guys come along and say, well, we got to build the walls, because if we don't build the walls, then we won't be able to take care of ourselves. So they build the walls, and then they say, well, we got to build our houses, so they build their houses. we got to build the temple of God. And so they lay the foundation for the temple of God. They get it all ready to go, and then they leave it for 15 years. Any of you have unfinished projects at your house? Anybody, any spouses here have unfinished projects they're 
from their spouses. They need to get finished here, right? Anybody here got unfinished projects that have been more than 15 years? That's a long time, right? 15 years was a long time. It's a long time. I mean, 15 years ago, when I think about it, my life was completely different. I wasn't pastor here. I was pastoring in Ripley, Tennessee. I was a young pastor. I know people still think I'm young. I'm not young, as I used to be for sure. But I was 28 years old, pastoring a church in Ripley, Tennessee. Susan and I had one child, and he was one. Elon was one. We didn't have any other children. It was a complete, I mean, our lives like had margin and space. And, you know, we have four now. And so... Um, it was different. Uh, think back, if you can, to 2004. Some of you can't because you weren't here. But for those of you that were here, think back to 2004. All right? So 2004 was a, a year that's 15 years ago now. And 2004, there was a presidential election. Anybody remember who ran for president in 2004? We had an incumbent that ran. Anybody remember who that was? That was yeah, W. Bush, George W., right? Anybody remember who George W. ran against? John Kerry, right? So John Kerry and George W. Bush ran. It was a different time in politics. Um, they, they got on to each other, but they didn't trash each other on Twitter because Twitter didn't exist, right? And so that wasn't around. Um, in fact, that year, 15 years ago, was when this guy at Harvard decided to build something to help see the pictures of his fellow classmates, and he called it the Facebook um, and so 15 years ago, it was developed. Uh, 15 years ago, there was a brand new show that debuted on NBC from executive producer Mark Burnett, who was the Survivor guy, who thought it'd be great to have a show like Survivor, but in the business world. And so he hired this guy that was a, a guy that had uh, a lot of property and land in New York City to hire and fire people. And everybody thought, man, that guy's going to be our president someday. Um, that was the apprentice started 15 years ago. Friends ended 15 years ago. At least the show did. I know people still watch it like all the time today, but the last show was 15 years ago. Um, but there was also an Olympics 15 years ago. Uh, anybody, it was the 2004 Olympics. Anybody remember where the 2004 Olympics were held? Wasn't Beijing? Uh, it was Athens. Wow, Jackson's a cola. Trivia king down here, right? So Athens. And here's the crazy thing. Athens Olympics actually gives us a glimpse of a little bit of what the property where the temple of God was supposed to be might look like. Because when they left the Olympics 15 years ago, they abandoned many of the sports arenas. So there are lots of things built for the Olympics that haven't been used since. And so there's... One of the venues that was there, I think this is where they did some, I don't think this is the main track and field, but they had something there, uh, apparently. All right, so this is the softball field. Apparently, Greece doesn't have a lot of room for softball or need for softball. They're not considered world powers in softball, but you can see that it hasn't been kept up at all. Or the next one, um, next picture is uh, just a, another, and I think it's, this is the first stadium that we looked at that's obviously this has been growing for quite a while. And by the way, these pictures are like three years old. Um, they're the most recent I could find. Uh, and then this one I think is interesting. This is the swim, and I remember when they built this, it was state-of-the-art swimming environment. And what I, I think is just fascinating is this is a chair or bench or something, and you may not be able to see that from where you are, but I can see it up close, that it literally says Athens 2004 right here on the bottom of this uh, like chair-like thing, and it is in complete disrepair. Just left alone for 15 years. 
And the book of Haggai tells the story of a prophet of God who only gives four sermons over a 15-week period. In the year 520 B.C., 520 years before Jesus was born, and he goes to the people who have built up everything else in their town and left the temple of God with nothing done for 15 years. He's going to ask them three important questions that I want to tell you, and I, don't, I know that I say this sometimes, and you kind of maybe look at me later because I don't know that I got that. I want to tell you that these questions that are asked of the people that are in that place, the people in Jerusalem, by the prophet Haggai that God gives him, the three questions he asks them are as important for your life today as they were for the people of Jerusalem. Here's the first question he asks them. Are your priorities in the right order? Are your priorities in the right order? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And so he's going to speak to the political leader and to the spiritual leader. And he says, verse 2, The Lord of the army says this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So he says that you have all said to me that it's not yet time, that we'll get there when we get there, that there are other pressing matters that are happening. There are other things happening. Verse 3, but the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai again saying, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, a couple of things I want you to understand about what happens here. First of all, if we can look back at this and see, it says the Lord of the army says this. Now, these are the people that God has called to be his people so that he could carry his name to the nations through them. All the way back to Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham, he says, you will be my people. I will be your God if you follow my commands. But instead of calling him my people, instead of saying my ones, my nation, my people, he says these people. Something has so happened in that relationship that it's fractured it to the point that God is no longer saying, my people say. He's saying, these people say. It's not yet time to build the house of the Lord. And God says, but you've got time to take care of everything else. Now here's what I want you to understand. At its heart, the question God is asking is not about a building. Yes, he expects the temple of God to rebuild. Now, why does he want the temple of God rebuilt? Because that is where they are to worship God. They're not following God's commands. They're not doing what God's called them to do. They're not worshiping him like they're supposed to worship. And he says to them in the midst of all of this, he says to them, you have time for everything else to get done and you haven't gave attention to my house. It's a question of priorities. Now, he may not come to you and say, why haven't you given to a temple rebuild? But he might come to you and say, do you have your schedule in line? Do you have your finances in line? Does your heart's devotion show that your priorities are in the right order? We live in a culture, we live in a nation that continually fights for our attention at every moment of every day. That continually fights for our funding, for our dollars, for our finances every moment of every day. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is the same question that Haggai asked from God to the people. 
Are your priorities in order? Just to understand, I mean, I know that I know that, that we don't think about paneling as kind of a hip thing to do these days. Maybe, maybe it's back in. I don't know, all right? I'm not up on the home improvement trends, all right? I haven't seen Chip and JoJo use paneling yet, and so I don't know that it's back in, all right? All right? I know shiplap, so, but it's, so you, we could do that, all right? He says to them, your houses have been completely taken care of. And you've had time to take everything together with your family. You've had time to get everything together in your house. You've had time to get everything you need to get together. But you haven't had time to take care of the most important thing in your life. What do your priorities demonstrate is the most important thing in your life? What do you take care of first? And what do you try to fit in the schedule or fit in the finances or fit in your mind's thinking? What flows first in your life? And he comes to these people and he says, you think you've got it together, but you're mistaken. When you're thinking about your schedule and the days ahead and what's happening and two weeks left, three weeks left before school starts, uh, school season starts, and we've got all the things that we've got to do. We've got, we've got places we've got to go. We've got activities we've got to be involved in, sports we've got to be involved in, um, uh, dance, recitals, um, singing, dancing, having fun, going to see friends, going to other places, making sure work gets done, making sure school stuff gets done, homework gets done. Where in the midst of all of that is your commitment not only to the Lord, but to pursuing the things the Lord has called us to pursue? Well, I've got it penciled in every Sunday morning. I'm good. Unless something else comes up. Well, it's, it's, it's there. I mean, it's just, we know that if nothing else is going on, we will be at church on Sundays. Well, if nothing else is going on, I'll make sure to get up and make sure I have my quiet time with the Lord. If nothing else is going on, I'll make sure. The question is, does that mean your priorities are in the right order? When it comes to finances, you start to think about back-to-school shopping and what's coming up and all the things that will happen between now and then and Christmas and you get all that and birthdays and how you're spending money there and what your cars you're buying and where you're going and the trips you're planning and all of that. And you think, well, you know what? When it comes to that, I'll dedicate a portion of what God's called me and what God's given me. I'll dedicate a portion of that to the Lord in some way if there's room left. When it's time, when I can, when it's perfect in everything else. God said to them, these people say, it's not the right time. Let me just say, this isn't just about individuals. In fact, this particular passage of Scripture is not written to an individual. It's written to a group of people. And so the question we have to ask as a church is, are our priorities in line? With what we spend on, with what we give towards, with what we give our time and our attention to, is that what God is calling us to give towards, or have we gotten off track? Are we neglecting the most important thing? What's interesting is God then tells them, hey, listen, I know you're frustrated. In fact, what had happened is they come back. They thought we're released from our imprisonment over in Babylon. We're going to come back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild. God's going to bless us. We're the nation chosen by God, and it's all going to be great. And they got back, and that was not happening. Look what God says as he continues through Haggai. Verse 5, now the Lord, the army says, think carefully about your ways. 
You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage owner puts wages into a bag with a hole in it. Does it ever feel like that? You make money and you put it into your pocket and it's got a hole or your bank account that's already pulling it out the other side. And the Lord of Armies says, think carefully about your ways. You want to know why that's happening? He says, if you want that to stop, go up into the hills, bring down lumber, build the house, and I will be pleased with you and glorified, said the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought in the harvest to your house, it ruined. Why? Because my house still lies in ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. He says, your life is less than satisfied because you're trying to fill it with your stuff and neglecting me. See, the point of the temple was not that they were neglecting some civic service, some religious activity. It was that they were neglecting their relationship with God himself. And he says, when you neglect your relationship with me, nothing in this world will satisfy you. And you're trying to fill it with your nice house and your nice stuff and you've got all the things and you've got the walls built so you think nothing can get to us. But in the midst of all of that, you have neglected me and so you will never be satisfied. I was thinking this week about, I was looking, researching this stuff about 2004, the 15 year gap. And uh, some information came up about Mark Zuckerberg, who's the guy that started Facebook. And what's interesting about him, there's some really interesting things kind of happening in his life. Obviously, he's on the hot seat, he's in government inquiries, and Facebook knows everything about your life, so he's your best friend, and so all that, he's in some trouble. And for a long time, Mark Zuckerberg was an avowed atheist, like would declare that he was an atheist. And a couple of years ago, he, on Christmas Day, said Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah to all those out there. Put a picture of his family up. And so people like, wait a minute, you're an atheist. You can't say Merry Christmas. And he just responded, I have come to realize the importance of religion. Now, here's what I will tell you about him. I don't think he's a Christian. I don't think he's converted. Now, he may. I, I haven't had a personal conversation with him lately about it um, or ever about it. But I've read two or three articles where this guy who built one of the most successful startup companies in the history of the world, talked about how little it meant to him when he got to the top. Because he's missing the most important piece. God says to the people gathered in Jerusalem through Haggai, it's never going to work if you neglect the first priority. No matter how good your grades are, doesn't matter how successful your business is, no matter how good your marriage seems, it's not matter how much investment you put in your kids, it doesn't matter how much travel you do, you can never travel enough to fill that void, you can never spend enough family time to fill that void, you can never make enough money to fill that void, you can never be successful enough in a career to fill that void, you can never succeed in sports enough to fill that void, you can never fill that void outside of your relationship with God. That's the first question he asked them. Now, here's the thing for them. They get to work. They go up into the mountains. They get the stuff. They come down. They start to build. Now, Haggai has to come back and talk to them because as they start to build, they start to kind of murmur and they start to talk and like, um, it's not going to be like it was. 
And he says, listen, it's not going to be like it was. But then he makes this statement that they're like, what? I don't understand what he's saying. He says, it's going to be greater than it was. And the people that are there are thinking greater than it was. The temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And we're building a cheap knockoff is what it seems like of it. But God says, because of my presence, it's going to be greater. And then he says, but I want to warn you about something. And i got a second question to ask you. Not just are your priorities in the right order. The second question I want to ask you is this. Are you clean? He does in kind of a strange way. This is in chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. By the way, now I'm not going to do this for you today, but you can. And I actually preached a message series on this I'm, when I started to preach this. Week. I was like, man, I just preached on that a couple of years ago. It's been seven years ago that I preached on this. But uh, it's been, it feels like a couple of years. And in there I actually gave the dates because you can go to the exact day in 520 when he's speaking this because of all the information they give. All right. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the second year, the Lord comes and says through Haggai, Ask the priest for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or other food, does it become holy? He says, here's a question for you. They had, back then they would consecrate meat either for sacrifice or it would come from an animal that had been consecrated and the priest would eat it. He says that it is food that has been made holy, that has been made sacred, that has been made for specific use. If it randomly touches some bread, does that bread become holy? And the answer, they say, is no. That's not what happens. It'd be the same for now if you, as a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ, been saved by Christ, been set on the right path, been given a promise of a future in heaven with Him, in the process of being sanctified and made like Him, were to go up and to shake hands with someone that is not, your holiness, given by God, does not automatically transfer to that person. So that doesn't happen. He said, but, let me ask you this second question. If someone touches a dead body and then goes and grabs the food, does the food become defiled? So let me ask you, if somebody walked up to you and had a hand and in their hand was a piece of meat and they said to you, hey, just real quick, you want some of this? It's steak, it's cooked really well, but by the way, I just touched and rubbed down the body that was dead and then grabbed the meat. Would you like some? And all of God's people would say, no, right? Okay, none of that. We don't want that. He says, does it become defiled? And the priests say, yes. Now, we could get into a long explanation about this, but here's the basic tenet of what he's saying. If you, corrupted, walk into a holy place and try to bring worship to the place from a corrupted heart, it will not be effective. What he actually says is, so is this people. There's that phrase again, right? This people. And so is this nation. Not my nation, not my people, but this people, this nation, this is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hand, even what they offer there in the new temple that is coming, 
will be defiled. And so he says to the people, if you want, you're building the temple. That's the first step. Your priorities are getting back in the right order. But now the question is, is there something in your life, is there a pattern in your life that is defiling you before the Lord, that is making you unclean before the Lord, that is making you unholy before the Lord? Because if you think you can walk into church on Sunday morning when you are living your life in complete opposition to what God has called us to do and sing raise a hallelujah and somehow that makes you right with God, you are tragically mistaken. Are you clean? Now this isn't about being saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about salvation comes once and for all when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But you and I know that sin is a daily problem. Sin is an hourly problem. Sin is a minutely, I don't know that's a word, minutely problem. It is an every second problem in our lives. And if we are not in a consistent posture of confession and seeking the grace and the mercy of God for the sins that we are committing, if we're just living our lives like we want to and we expect God to move in and among us, we are mistaken. He basically tells them to get clean. It's never been easier for us to have access to things that can lead us down a path that leads our hearts into a place of consistent perpetual sin. It's never been easier for us to express anger or rage or gossip. It's never been easier for us to speak words that are unwholesome, whether through our mouths or through our text or through our social media. It's never been easier for us to be influenced in our heart by the words of others than it is today. It's never been easier for us to have access to immoral and impure images, videos, and discussions than it is today. And if statistics are to be believed, then there is a large percentage of people walking in on Sunday morning to a place where they call worship with their hearts weighed down with images and thoughts and discussions and conversations that have gone with them the entire week that are preventing them from being able to fully worship the Lord. And Haggai the prophet comes and says, You're building the temple. That's great. That's the first step. You're getting their priorities in order. They dropped everything and went to the hills and began to build that temple. Nothing else was done for a while. And they would finish it. He says, but if you think you can walk in without being cleansed, without having your sins forgiven, without confessing what's going on in your life, then you're mistaken. And here's the last question he asked them. Where is your hope? So there are four messages. We talked extensively about two. The other one was about the expectations. But the last message starts in verse 20 of chapter 2, the end of the book. It says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. He said, so day of destruction is coming. We've talked about the day of the Lord in this month, this summer that is coming. A day of destruction will happen. But verse 23, on that day, he says, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. 
I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. He says that where is coming a day when I will set everything right. And Zerubbabel, you are a part of that. Now, there are a couple of things about that that I want us to understand. There was nothing within Zerubbabel that made him worthy of being the one that he chose. He chose him because he was in the line of David and ruling, and God had established that is the way it would come. Secondly, when it says that my signet ring will be put on you, it is saying I am giving you the authority to speak as my representative. You are allowed to be the one that will represent me on this earth. But the basic understanding here is when you put your trust in me, you will not be let down. I think about my own life and I think about the number of things in which I place my trust that I know will or very easily could let me down. Relationships. Investments. Things that I give my time and my energy to that bring no fulfillment or do not in any way promise me that they will not let me down. And yet God says, when you have your priorities right, when you are living your life dedicated to me and to my causes first, and you live a life that is clean, you will not be let down. Now here's the thing. There's no way, there's no way, that the people of Haggai's time could understand all that was happening in the predictive future that was being prophesied here. But if you've got your Bibles open especially, I want you to turn just a few pages over because the next book is Zechariah. We'll talk about that next week. So you can go through Zechariah. It's a long book. Don't worry. We're not going to read all 14 chapters next week, all right? And then there's Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. So turn right past Malachi and go to Matthew. You said that would have been easier if you just told us to go to Matthew. Well, it's... It's there, all right? Matthew chapter 1, that little part that always kind of starts, and we a lot of times we don't read, we kind of just gloss over, we kind of look at it, but it's interesting there. Here, look what it says in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 12. So after the exile, post-exilate, we talked about that, to Babylon, Jehoiakim fathered Sheltel, and Sheltel fathered Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Now just look four verses later. Verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. You see, when you read these names in the Old Testament, sometimes they get lost in all of the clutter of what's happening. But when God promised Zerubbabel at the end of the book of Haggai that he would wear his authority and that he would restore the nations through his line, he meant it. And the one that would come is Jesus. And Jesus is better than any temple that's ever been built. And so the questions that our Lord Jesus stands before you today and asks is, Are your priorities in the right order? Are you clean? And where are you placing your hope? We live in an in-between time, just so you know. From the time that, that that this happens in Haggai to Jesus being born is just about 500 years. We're 2,000 years since Jesus 
life on earth. And in that meantime that we've been living, waiting on the return of Christ, sometimes it gets really difficult in life. And sometimes it's easy to let our priorities get out of whack. And it's easy to let our lifestyles get out of whack where we come into this place and we are filthy from the sin in our lives. And in the midst of that, it's easy to forget that our hope is assured in Jesus. But the Bible assures us that one day Jesus is coming back and that he is going to turn over the nations, that the God of angel armies is going to upturn this entire world. He's going to flip it like you flip a basket. And the day will come when destruction will be and the Gentile armies, and in this case it means the unbelieving armies of the world will be flicked away and God will reign supreme. And in that day, he will establish his kingdom forever for those of us who have placed our trust and our lives in Jesus Christ. And we will live with the Lord forever. When I think about the things in my life that will not be there in forever. And how much time and attention I give to those, and it sickens me to think about the priorities that I really have. Are your priorities in the right order? Are you clean? And where's your hope? Let's pray together.